Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. This can be found on page 1023 of your Pew Bible. In this encounter with a paralytic man, Jesus provides divine proof that he has not only the power to heal, but also the authority to forgive sins. A reading from Luke chapter 5, beginning with the 17th verse. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles, into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. We good up there? It's it's hot in here. I can always tell when it's hot because when I'm preaching, people start yawning. I know it's not a reflection of my sermon. So (laughs) the 9 a.m. people were yawning. So we can endure this heat, right? It's about to get hotter in here because this sermon's on fire. (laughs) All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for visiting us here today by your spirit, and I pray too that you would visit us by your word, sharpen us even in a warm room, quicken our spirits to be attentive to what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On the corner of Broad Street and Atlantic Avenue, right in the middle of the city of Stamford, we as a church, as many of you know, show up. We come with our musicians and we play some Christian music, we exalt God through worship, We give a little gospel presentation through the loudspeaker system that we have, and we have a lot of conversations with people on the sidewalk. It's a high foot traffic intersection, and a lot of people walk by, and a lot of people encounter what we're doing out there. And uh, we try to do as much listening or more listening in those conversations than we do even talking. We call this evangelism through listening. We really want to hear what's on the minds of unchurched people, people just going about their day. And we hear a lot of very interesting things from the people when they realize what we're doing, that we're proclaiming Christ out there in the public square. We hear a lot of feedback, honestly, 
a lot of it is very positive. People say, this is a phrase we hear a lot. They say, when are you guys coming back here? And they really just want to find out so they can come and hear more. Well, here's some other people, though, who say, this is a fascinating phrase to me. I hear this almost every time we go out there. Somebody says, I can't believe you're allowed to do this here. (laughs) That kind of tells you how much our culture has shifted in one generation, isn't it? And there's some skepticism that's shown. What I take away from those two statements, by the way, it's overwhelmingly uh, the former, not the latter. We hear tons of people just really eager to hear more. But what I take away from those two statements is that when you really hear the claims of Jesus, you're going to have one of two perceptions. Either you're going to say, this man is my best hope. Or you're going to say, this man is my biggest threat. He's perceived with his authority claims of saying who he is, people feel threatened by his authority. What we realize in in our scripture reading today from Luke chapter 5 is that it's always been this way for Jesus. There's basically a binary response when his authority, when his kingship, when his power is revealed. People either say, that's my best hope, or they say, this man is a threat to our ways. We see this play out in the story today, and here's what I find really interesting, is that in both cases, whether you think Jesus is your best hope or your biggest threat, when you actually get into proximity with him, in either case, you're in for a surprise. Let's find out what that surprise is together today as we look at this story. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. This first verse, we encounter a group of people who view Jesus as their biggest threat. Verse 17, on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. This is a delegation. Pharisees and teachers of the law from all the surrounding villages, including from Jerusalem. Why are those Pharisees and teachers of the law out there? In a certain sense, Jesus is already on trial. The powers that be, the authorities in Jerusalem and the temple structure, they had heard rumors of this man going around healing, exhibiting power, seemingly divine power. So they send this delegation out to go investigate. You see this word and in verse 17, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. In the Greek, that same word is often translated in other parts of the Bible as for or even because. I have a feeling it would have been better translated here if I could be so bold to the ESV translators. I think it should read like this, that they came from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem because the power of the Lord was on him to heal. They had heard rumors of this traveling rabbi exhibiting divine power, so they come out and they say, could this be a threat to our authority, to our rule in Jerusalem? So they come out to investigate. There's another group of people, though, who don't view him as a threat. They view him as their best hope. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Why are they seeking to bring in their friend who's paralyzed to lay him at the feet of Jesus? Because they hoped. Perhaps they had met 
someone else that Jesus had already healed, a previously paralyzed person who was dancing around the streets glorifying God, and maybe they said, maybe he can do for you what he did for that person. So out of hope, they view Jesus as their best hope. They grab their friend and they bring him into proximity with Jesus. Verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. These are people driven by a sincere and an earnest hope. This Jesus, this traveling Messiah with the power to heal, he is our best hope. When we're out there on that sidewalk in Stanford, we do meet people who have these two reactions to Jesus. I can't believe you're allowed to be here, some of them say. But others, as I said, so many They hear what we're talking about and they say, I need to hear more. This sounds hopeful. Last Sunday, we were out there playing music and we got to the part in our little program where it was time to have somebody give up just a brief gospel presentation. And last week, it was Craig. You saw Craig here just a few minutes ago in the pulpit. He's one of our youth leaders. And uh, he stood up and there was a bunch of people there from our church and just passers-by. And his opening remarks were something like this. He said, hi, I'm Craig. And hey, just so you know, I'm going to talk about Jesus right now. I'm going to talk about what Jesus has done for me in my life. And, um, you know, if you need to just keep walking on the sidewalk, now that you know what I'm going to talk about, you can. You know, that's fine. But I am going to talk about Jesus. And I noticed when he said that, there was a man in my peripheral vision who heard Craig say that. And he turned on his heel and started walking away. I thought, well, at least the man's being honest, you know? But I realized just a second later, the man was not walking away. He was hightailing it to move around the barriers to try to get the closest seat that he could right up in front of Craig. There was an open seat right in front of Craig, and the man sat there like this the entire time, just listening to what Craig was saying. When Craig told the story about how he was excluded as a middle schooler, but then he found Christ who included him in the family of God, this man was on the edge of his seat, This man heard something in the story of Jesus that told him he has hope in what Jesus is all about. This is what these friends bringing their companion, their paralyzed friend in before Jesus, they knew he was the best hope. Now, as I said, no matter which category you fall into, whether he's a threat or a hope, you're in for a surprise. And these guys who found hope in Jesus, they were in for a surprise. Verse 20. They've just lowered him. Can you just picture this for a second before we read this verse? Picture Jesus teaching all these skeptical Pharisees around him and all of a sudden the dust starts falling from the ceiling. We talk about interruptions in preaching. You know, it's kind of funny. We had that window happen at the beginning of the sermon. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. And there's this man suddenly face to face with Jesus with all the eagerness and hope that he might get healed. But surprise, something else happens first. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins. Your sins are forgiven you. I just imagine these friends, they've worked so hard to get their friend up onto the roof. They've lowered him down through that hole in the roof. I can just picture them kind of looking down 
you know, talking to each other. Okay, he's in front of Jesus. He's going to be healed any second now. But what did he say? What? He said something about his sins. What? Can you believe this? How did Jesus know? And they're surprised as they peer down through that hole in the roof. Here's the surprise. Our problem is deeper than we think. Our problem is deeper than we think. When we come to Jesus, even those of us who believe in Jesus as our best hope, we come to him with so many requests on our mind. Jesus fixed this. Jesus fixed that. And we come into proximity with him, and he's got a deeper problem to deal with. As a pastor, I receive dozens of prayer requests every week. And most of them, there's nothing wrong with this, but most of them are about physical illness. Very rarely do I have someone call me up and say, hey, pastor, I have some unrepented sin that I need Jesus to forgive me for. No, we typically have our situations on our mind, our illnesses, our diagnoses, the pains, the aches and pains in our lives, the temporal issues. And then we come into proximity with Jesus and he says, come to the table because I got some deeper business to do with you. He could have healed the man, could have sent him out and given him a temporal fix to his problem. I read in one commentary, it said, uh, you know, he, he could have, what good would two legs be to walk on if you're walking into the pit of hell? So Jesus was solving the eternal, the deeper problem. That's a surprise for those of us, even who view Jesus as our hope. Our problem is deeper than we think. Well, there's a surprise also for those who view Jesus as a threat. And it comes from the very same moment when he says, your sins are forgiven you. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees, these skeptics, these, this delegation putting Jesus on trial... They began to question, saying, who's this who speaks blasphemies? You see, it's blasphemy if you claim to be God, if you're not God. That's blasphemy. And they're just sure they've busted him for this now. Who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, the surprise for the Pharisees, they thought he was on trial for doing some healing. And they realized, oh, it's way worse than we thought. The paralyzed man, was, was his surprise is that our problem is deeper than we think, but the Pharisee's surprise is that his authority, his power is higher than we can imagine. That's the double surprise in this story. Our problem is deeper than we think, but his power to solve it is higher than we can imagine. He really is the Messiah. He really is. He's going to refer to himself in the next verse as the Son of Man. He really doubles down on this, verse 22, and Jesus perceived their thoughts. He said to them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? Now, to be honest, those both sound really hard to me. If you think it's hard to just heal someone on the spot, how much harder, how much higher is his authority to say your sins are forgiven? And he calls himself the son of man in the next verse, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. We're going to see that verse in just a moment. That phrase, son of man, would have been well known in Jesus' time. It's a reference to the last chapter, or the seventh chapter of Daniel. And it's really an apocalyptic vision 
of when the Son of Man would come and, and bring the final chapter of God's history. Jesus is saying, oh yeah, you thought I was on trial for healing people? No, no, I'm the Son of Man. Look it up. And he's announcing his kingship over the whole world. It's an amazing thing. You know, that's really what we're doing when we have a ministry like this. We're announcing his kingship. It's, what we, it's why we're going to Stanford. This amazing thing happened last Sunday. We were out there in the scene I just described a moment ago, and um, somebody noticed, I think, was it you? Was it Gina Smith? You noticed somebody had put a poster in their window in this apartment building across the street, way up high in this apartment building. Someone had written with marker on a poster and put it in their window. And the poster said, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Here's the thing. Jesus is already king of Stanford. We're just trying to bring agreement with that reality by launching a new church there. Jesus is already king of Greenwich. This is a great prayer for you to pray if you're praying for your kid's school or your workplace or your home. You, say, you, you hold that banner above that place and you say, Jesus is king. Jesus is already king of this place. Now, Lord, will you bring all of us into alignment with that kingship, with your authority? Will you bring the elected rulers of our country into alignment with the fact that you are the king of all creation? Of my school administration, even of my marriage, all the places I go, the banner is true above it all. Jesus is king. Now, it's our job, church, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and to bring all the earthly realities into alignment with that fact. This is what he's doing here in this. You just think it's a story about him healing a guy whose friends brought through the roof. No, he's announcing his kingship over all creation. In fact, that's what he says. That's why he heals. Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. God does care about all those aches and pains, all those prayer requests that we bring to him. Keep sending those to the pastors. And he can fix those. He can solve those. But he's interested in this deeper problem that we have. And he's interested in exhibiting his higher authority than we can imagine. In forgiving our sins. In fact, it's why he came. It's why he came. Not just to teach us and to heal us and to feed us, but to die on the cross in our place so that he can be true to his word when he says your sins are forgiven because he took the penalty of our sins upon himself. That's what he did on the cross. It's the very reason he came. The king became the servant so that we could have our sins forgiven. He gives us an eternal solution. What's the response What's the appropriate response? Whether you are the type of person who views Jesus as your best hope and you realize, oh, my problem's deeper than I thought, this sin problem. Or whether you think Jesus is a threat to your authority when you realize, no, he's actually above all authorities. What's a response to that? It's basically praise. This is what the people do when they realize what exactly is being announced in this house with this healing. Verse 25, immediately the man rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. 
I'll bet this man glorified God. His two biggest problems have just been solved. His physical problems, he dances out of there praising and glorifying, but also his eternal problem of sinfulness. He was able to be forgiven of his sins by the one person in the world who has the authority to do so. He glorifies God, obviously. But look what happens in verse 26 to everyone else, the delegation who had been sent there. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things here today. You know what's happening here, I think? The folks who had been sent from Jerusalem, they're going around the place all serious. We have to make sure we're in power, and they're going to go snuff out this traveling rabbi. And how exhausting is that to be the kings and queens of our own domain, the people who are in charge of the universe? There they are, and they're going to get Jesus in trouble, and then they see what they saw this healing of the paralyzed man, this claim to be the son of man who can forgive sins. I think they're glorifying God because they realize, you know what? There is an authority in this world and it ain't us. They met the king. And when you meet the king, you know that everything's gonna be okay like a child holding his father or mother's hand walking through the parking lot trusting. Dad's in control. Mom's in control. I can rest. And we glorify God when we realize he is the king. We don't have to try to exert our own power and authority over the world. He gives us things to steward, yes, but he's in charge. So we glorify God. There's this quote from John Piper that I think is a good encapsulation and summary of this glory that the people bring. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The man who was healed that day, he's satisfied in Christ for obvious reasons, but also those of us run around like we think we have to be in charge. We're satisfied in him simply by glorifying him and announcing and living into the reality of his kingship in this world because we relinquish our human grip on all the things we think we need to control. Jesus, when we come into proximity with him, we realize that our problem's deeper than we thought. We also realize that his power to solve it is higher than we can imagine. I picture these folks gathering there that day in that house. One of the ways I try to imagine the whole story is just picturing their faces. Can you see the faces of the Pharisees when they first arrived? So stern, so serious. Picture the faces of the four friends and the paralyzed man, also quite serious, earnest in hope. Picture this, this face of Jesus, though, right in the middle of the whole scene, this face of peace. He's in charge. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. And then by the end, picture all their faces as they're leaving that experience. All the seriousness, all the earnestness is probably gone. They're just glorifying. They're just praising. They've met the king. This happens to us every Sunday. I, I notice it. We come in this room with all the cares of this world, serious looks on our face sometimes. But we leave this room full of joy because we've met the king too. 
Let us pray. Jesus, you are king. We lift you high today. We worship you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We know that you're already king of our nation. You're king of our world. Bring us now into alignment with that reality, with that fact. In your name we pray. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.